You're listening to Positivity Strategist. Welcome to our third season, where I'll be focusing on leaders and leading in an appreciative and positive way across a range of industries and professions. What does it mean? How do they do it? What results do they achieve for their people, their organizations, and their own careers? How do they inspire? This is Robin Stratton Burkessel, your host, and today I have the great delight to welcome Yup de Jong to the show. Hello, Yup, and big, big warm welcome to you. Hello, Robin, and thank you very much. Wonderful to be here, particularly after the uh, struggles we had earlier today. <laughs> yes, indeed, just getting, the, getting a new system up, that's right. So I'd like to say a little bit about Yup and what my appreciation of Yup is. He's actually a pretty cool dude. He's the father of two daughters and a son, and he lives in a houseboat in or near Sparendam, which is just west of Amsterdam. So he lives on this houseboat with his partner, Hannah. And he's also known for turning up to gigs on his motorcycle, and he sings and dances the tango. <laughs> Many of you will know Yup. He's been active in the appreciative inquiry community for a long time now. How long, Yup? Uh, I think it's about 25 years now. Yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah, so if any of you have been on any of our global appreciative inquiry conferences or attended any events or you've studied appreciative inquiry in Europe or in Africa, in, in the Americas, in Australia, in Indonesia, you're bound to have met Yup. He travels widely speaking and teaching. And Yup has formerly held a number of executive roles in global corporations and his own consulting practice. Now, Yup has been particularly interested in the sustainability of appreciative inquiry in organizations and the use of AI in everyday applications, such as coaching and leadership development and appraisals, business processes, the financials, marketing, and all of that. And as CEO to a number of companies, he's embedded appreciative inquiry into his organizations. Now, I've been wanting to have Yup as a guest on Positivity Strategies for a long time, and it seems now is the perfect time. And this season on the topic of appreciative leading, Yup, as part of his PhD dissertation, has been on a quest to search for the soul of appreciative leadership. And he's sharing his findings as beautiful portraits in a video format on Vimeo. And I'll put a link to that whole suite of portraits in the show notes page. And that is positivitystrategist.com slash PS 111. Yes, triple one. This work that Yup has been doing on his quest for the soul of appreciative leadership, to me, is a super example of appreciative leading, and it's a gift to us all. Now, your gift is an important word for you, it seems. Your own video, you talk about a gift, you often bring up gift, you write about the gift. What does it mean to you? Well, gift is so important to me as, um, as I found it, 
something that helped me define my purpose in life. Um, so I think it was Ada Jo Men who, who came up with something that resembles what I say now is that um, the purpose in life is to find your gift for each and every one of us. But then life really gets meaning when you share that gift, when you pass it on. And I guess that's what I am experiencing with people that I love and that I care and I experience with my parents. But it's also something that I, um, I would say it's, it's almost an ambition I have to, to find my own gift, what it really is, and then share whatever I find with others because that gives meaning to life. Mm. And so as you've been doing this research um, into the soul of appreciative leadership, perhaps you could just say it's helping you find your own gift and your sharing, but what was the impetus to do this, to inquire, to have this topic of inquiring into the soul of appreciative leadership? Well, I, that's a that's a beautiful question, and I, I guess what happened is that people I've been using appreciative inquiry um, as I saw it as as probably one of the tools, one of the ways of dealing with business challenges that I faced as as an executive and also in my own organization. Uh, and and John Reisman. I guess deserves credit that he asked me a couple of times uh, before I actually got started to 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 talk about my findings and my experiences, uh, and so did Mark Schiller, by the way, who should get credit for this as well. And so I started to look into what I have been doing, and also in conversations with Dan Saint. We started, and I started to look at what you do, you could say, from an operational perspective. And would that be something that you then could share with others? Uh, but that is, that is not what it really is about. So then it becomes a sort of, sort of a set of maybe tricks and advices and recommendations. But what I found was that there is more to it than meets the eye, so to speak. And that's why I, I, uh, I got it. when I got introduced to the work of Nick Askew from Soul Biographies, I decided, wow, that is probably for me the way to find what appreciative leadership, and if you wish, appreciative leading is really all about. Uh, what I need to do is to find those people who understand what this is or are searching maybe for what it is. I, I don't know whether we there are many people who really understand what's happening, but um, who search, who are searching for, for what this is and, and look them in the eye, literally look them in the eye and try to find how we can get to the core of what it is they're doing and why they're doing it. And that's, that's what got me really intrigued when I heard people talk from different areas, different places, and hear them 
speak about what really drove them. And this is also, again, where, where the link for me came to the, the fact that these people did more than a job. They did more than leading. They, did, they were more than leaders. Um, they came to, to what it maybe is to be really human, uh, to get to the core of that. And hence that I, I um, started to call my PhD that I'm actually in search of the soul of the appreciative leader. So was there anything else perhaps, you know, for example, in your early upbringing or a spiritual tradition or something that may have given you a hint that you would want to do this, that you would want to inquire more deeply into the soul of leaders who are leading in this appreciative manner or with this perspective? If I'm, maybe, um, but I, I wouldn't, I'm not all too sure. It's a very interesting question. I never thought of it. Um, I guess I, I come from a Christian tradition, uh, particularly my mother was, a, a regular churchgoer, uh, but what what probably helped me more than anything else was that I come from a family and I had two wonderful parents, which who saw us. And us is I have two sisters and one brother. Uh, I'm the the oldest. We were seen, and I think that I can honestly say that our parents saw our possibilities, our potential, and encouraged us to live that, whatever it was. Um, so that this being seen has been very important, very important. And yes, there was an ambition to become a leader, if you wish. I had as a young child, uh, already at the age of or when I started to draw and, and to talk a little bit, I wanted, I wanted to be a ship's captain. So this, this ambition to be a leader was there and, and, and well, in a way unfortunate, maybe fortunate. That didn't happen. Uh, but I did become the leader that I eventually became. Uh, and yes, on the other hand, so that's more the pragmatic operational side of the leadership, in the history, I was early on, I was intrigued by two books, which I got at a young age, in a young age, I'm talking here uh, before the age of 15, which certainly triggered my, or stimulated my spiritual development, because I do believe it's extremely important, although I wasn't really that aware at that moment which was uh, the, the book called uh, The Prophet by Chayil Gibran um, and uh, Jonathan Livingston Siegel uh, mm. by Richard Bach, two books which I guess most certainly have um, a spiritual, have had a spiritual influence on me and, and on the way how I look at things and how I lead. Uh, so that component has ever been, has always been there. Hmm. 
That's so lovely. And so, yes, recognising those early influences that have informed your the trajectory of your own choices is, is very interesting. Before we continue and you hear more of what Yup says about appreciative leading, I want to take a minute. If you've been appreciating this show and want to support it by paying it forward, there's an easy way to do that. You can become a patron of the show and receive a range of benefits beyond just listening to the podcast. Please visit my Patreon page where you'll see a range of tiers and benefits. For example, you can select workshop designs and materials, which are very useful if you're a consultant, a coach, a practitioner or a facilitator, or you're leading. And there are even promotional opportunities to be included in the show for you or your cause or your business. Plus, by joining me, you'll also be contributing to greater flourishing for the world, for all of us. So please visit my Patreon page where you'll see these opportunities and the benefits. Now that page is easy to get to. It's positivitystrategist.com slash Patreon. Let me spell that. Patreon is P-A-T-R-E-O-N. And the URL again is positivitystrategist.com slash Patreon. And now back to my conversation with Yup. You wrote somewhere, I think it was in one of the AIP articles, that part of your search into the soul for appreciative leadership, you might find, and this is my question, have what have you discovered about the role of, um, you know, is this something we're born with or can you teach it? Um, where have you landed on that? I, I've had some very interesting conversations with different people about this. And, and uh, I know that one of the portraits that, that you mentioned earlier with, uh, with Dan Saint, it's specifically mentioned and, and um, pointed out. I've, I'm starting to discover, which was, by the way, part of it, which is still part of the, the, the PhD uh, search, that Yes, I do believe that there are elements that you can learn. Um, like you can learn pretty much everything in life. If you spend enough time, every single person can learn to play the piano, learn to play the guitar, drive a motorcycle, do hang gliding, whatever. But having said that, uh, that doesn't make you necessarily very good at it. And if you practice more, you, you may become good. But the question is if you ever will reach the level that people call either mastery or excellence or what. For that, I think it requires, for lack of a better word at this moment, it, it, it requires talent. Mm. Um, why do some people become great musicians because they can hear, they can play in a way that is beyond what you can learn as a skill. I think that goes partially for appreciative leading or maybe any way of leading. Um, when it comes to 
really facil facilitating and caring uh, for people because that's an important word then. And when it comes to about caring for your environment, it's not only the people, but it's really broader. It's the environment. And I, I recall that in an interview with Charles Elliott already a long time ago, uh, I said that it will require that you love people, which is some, some people find that a strange notion uh, for a CEO to say, or for an executive or a manager to say that you need to love people But I think you need to. Uh, you need to because that's where the, the talent um, is hidden, if you wish. Mm -hmm. Wow. So what comes up for me as you're saying this and I'm listening to you is really, is, you're talking about um, the character strengths, like the virtues Right. So when you talk about love and caring and kindness, um, they are virtues that we can strengthen. We can get better at those. Right. And yeah. if you're thinking about the kind of leadership that we're, we're talking about here, you can certainly grow those and, or develop those. Um, but the talents they're talking about, um, I'm, re I'm listening to that as, you know, you have this talent for being a great athlete or a great musician. So that might be the innate component. But I think those virtues are something that are foundational and yes. you can equally develop those and make sure that you put yourself into a context where you can build that capacity. Yes, I, I, if you allow me to respond to that. I, th I think you can whereby interesting these days, interestingly enough, these days from a, I would say, a leading or leadership perspective is that you need to balance different worlds. So I would still argue that we are, we, 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 we are in an age, in an area of transformation. And when I talk to young people, let's say ranging from the age, starting at the age of 20, 25 And I, and I ask them about leadership, I do get new and different perspectives. But those of us who are leading now may have been raised at um, business schools, at universities, at other institutes, and are really faced with the fact that, uh, uh, particularly a lot of the corporations, I'm talking here, the for-profits, um, are still measured on a often quarterly basis are often measured by the financial outcomes. And I would say the appreciative leader of today, so I'm not talking about the appreciative leaders of tomorrow, but the appreciative leaders of today will have to perform this complex balancing act. And, and they are probably primarily responsible for creating this environment where these virtues, these values uh, can live and at the same time literally uh, pay attention to all the other stakeholders as well, including those who still believe that growth and financial gains are what it's all about. And, I, and even though I personally think that that's becoming old-fashioned, thank goodness, in a way, <laughs> um, it is something that if you want to lead, a, a, particularly a for-profit organization, something you have to take into account.
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. And it's funny because, um, you know, I know both you and I um, teach and we both love that. Yeah. And I, I don't know if, about you, but I often get students saying, well, um, yes, but, you know, I'm in the real world. <laughs> <laughs> and you know <laughs> and my response to that is well you can be in the real world and be appreciative and have you know positivity at your core and you can be in the real world and you know be very deficit focused and you can just focus on all the things that don't work so real is really your perspective what is real right and how do you how do you kind of live into the reality that you create for yourself mm-hmm. So what's your sense about that? No, my sense of that is that you know, this, this is, again, very interesting, Robin, would you just say? I, I, I sometimes use the comparison that I say you can drive looking in the rearview mirror and you can drive, if you drive very slowly, you still make progress and, and um, you know, you might get in not too serious accidents or whatever. But the point is that our speed, the speed of today's society is so fast that driving, even trying, attempting to drive by looking in the rearview mirror is a guarantee that you will crash into something. So it is not even an option, even though it may have worked in the past, Today's world is so different that even I, I, I tell students, I mean, can you really look at the, at, at the speed of the developments by the time you have analyzed um, what the effect of the in Europe right now, the Brexit or something else might be, you know, we'll, we'll see that things have dramatically changed. So wouldn't it be just simply an act of wisdom uh, and good sense to say, let's look at what we know and let's look ahead and accept that things may change, that things will be different and that we can no longer really plan them too far out, but start to use our understanding of what works particularly when it comes to the human interaction and use that to guide our actions. And then we'll mm-hmm. see, together we'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. And, and something will always happen. That's inevitable. And it's just going to be fine, whatever happens. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And... I'm hearing also that you are bringing in the principle of wholeness here. Yeah. So you need the whole picture, right? You need the wholeness of who you are, the wholeness of the entire system that you're working with. And I know, you know, this principle that we call the sixth principle of appreciative inquiry, the wholeness principle is one that excites you as well. Would you like to say a little bit about what that means to you? I'd love you to say a little bit about what that means. <laughs> to, you. But to, to me, yes, and I, I would love to. To me, the principle of wholeness is is um, first of all, it's 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 beautiful to look at the system as a whole, and I guess we we know that 
when you do that, you get close to concepts as like um, that, that is becoming an ecosystem. And ecosystems need, everything needs to be there in order to be a sound and safe system for people to thrive in, actually for all that is there to, to thrive and live in. So wholeness is trying to understand what is there, what we see, but also what we can't see. It's like bringing in the realm of, of, of quantum mechanics. I do work for ESA. It's bringing in um, what we can't see from space and how it came to be and, and trying to see what understanding we can, we, we, what we can learn from it and what understanding it might bring us about who we are. To me, wholeness has also the other perspective. Is it's it's like, and then it links also to, as far as I'm concerned, the, the principle of social constructionism is is to understand that every component is an important element of the whole. And to me, this also links to the fact that I sometimes talk about appreciative leadership from the perspective of some models that I have developed. Um, talking about slowing down, talking about the value chain of leadership and, and uh, st stuff like that. But it's also that those are, again, the somewhat mechanistical elements and the, and the operational elements. But there is also the notion of the principles, so the other five principles, which together with wholeness form the wholeness, and what's beyond so here is where the soul kicks in for me as well. Uh, it's all those elements that create this sense of, of wholeness. And when you embrace that and you talk to people, you, you value whatever is being brought to the system, whatever hmm. people say, whatever is done, what others are bringing in. And therefore it's, I would say it's, it's probably the, foundation even though as uh, it came only later into being as the uh, the sixth principle yeah thank you um it's, it's a big conversation and it's such a beautiful topic um you mentioned quantum physics there and i'm also very aware yup through our relationship that you've been expanding your thinking and your practice of appreciative inquiry to art and performance, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's become very important to you. Yeah. So tell us about the art and performance that you are practising. You know, I would love you to say more about how you're using those performance skills, mm -hmm. <laughs> mindset, um, as a metaphor for appreciative leading or appreciative life, or appreciative being. Appreciative being. I, 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 yeah, I, I will try to see if I can cover as many of the bases as possible. Uh, <laughs> I guess to me, I, like any child, because I, I enjoyed um, playing with whatever was there. I enjoyed drawing. I enjoyed painting. But then we get to school and there are some very serious studies that show us that uh, we kill creativity and we, we drive, I would almost say, drive people 
into their heads. And that's for everyone. Everyone that goes to school in most countries in the world, even if we spend time on, let's say, a broad spectrum of subjects and topics, but most children are, are, are driven into their heads. And that's why we see such a dramatic loss of creativity and actually a loss of this sense of wholeness. You're saying a loss, like a loss. We, we lose a lot of that yes. creativity. Yes. And uh, that, that same thing goes for me as well. And I think that those of us who are lucky to have talents in a certain area, sometimes withstand part of that pressure of going into the head and continue and become the painters and become the mus musicians in the world. But for somebody like me, I, I found this spot in my head or I got this new home in my head. And I was quite successful at that. And as far as leading and my interest in people, that's where the link was to the other things. And then a number of years ago, I and and I always tell my partner Hannah was uh, uh, has been instrumental in this, most helpful. She 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 noticed uh, how how much I was in my head and that I did that quite well. And and she at one stage said uh, she gave me a voucher. And this voucher was about taking singing classes. And I, and I was really surprised. I mean, I, I remember thoughts like, does she want me to, to, to get out of the house and go elsewhere or something <laughs> like that? But, she, uh, but it, in the end, it appeared that the singing and the dancing, by the way, too, And I must say, there was particularly to the dancing, there was also quite a bit of resistance. You know, it's, once you get comfortable in your head, it becomes like a, a canyon uh, where, where you're in and everything is fine, but you never look outside of the canyon anymore. And that starts to become uncomfortable if you do so. So I, I but I, I, I'm also a person who likes challenges, so I accepted the challenge. And for some, and the, the interesting thing is that for those things which I thought I would have no interest, like the singing and the dancing, it helped me to get out of my head and discover new elements of me, but not only of me, but of so many other things and other people. Mm -hmm. And so the story emerged that If this works for me, I should share this with people. I should share. So I've been using, sometimes in coaching, I've been using and challenging people to use their voice and maybe not to learn to sing because I cannot teach them how to sing, but just how, you, how they use their voice. And particularly with the tango, I find it fascinating and I really look forward to Nice, the, uh, uh, the AI conference of this year, that where I'm going to do... Uh, a presentation together with Vera Hoffman on how you can build bridges, in this case intergenerational, and use the metaphor of the tango, whereby for me the leading, if you really want to lead well and you want to understand what leading is, you have to understand that you have to connect And the process of connecting in the, in the tango through what is called the cavaseo, which is the invite, 
And before you start dancing, that you first listen to the music. And then once you hear or understand the music, only then you start to embrace. And an embrace is an act of, I would say, beauty, but also it's also an act in which you confirm your position. Both partners do so. And only when you have reached that point, you can start to co-create. From a, from a position of, of equals. So in the dance, they talk about the leaders and the followers, but it becomes very evident that you can never be a good leader if you don't have a good follower. And you can never be a good follower if you don't have a good leader. So you really need each other. And I think using that sort of insights, at least for me, has been so helpful. And, and I love to share that. And then, then and show in a way, how complicated it is, because I really had quite a bit of frustration in my learning the tango. But it's also a matter of perseverance and and continuing to learn. And then at one stage, you start to understand how it works, and it becomes something that is so joyful, so joyful, which is, I guess... If you, if you have the opportunity to work with people, leading them to wherever you want to go as a collective and facilitate that, then uh, that's, to me, that has always been, I would say, a, a privilege to do that, to do that work and, and to lead and to facilitate. Wow. Yup De Jong, I want to say thank you for accepting my invitation for us to connect today. And I think you have the most amazingly beautiful keynote presentation in the making. You know, just as Frank Barrett does his, his jazz piece and uses the metaphor of the messiness of all of this, you have this other beautiful metaphor that's so physical as well and touches all the senses. Thank you, Yup, for being on my podcast show today. It's been so, such a long, I've had this yearning for some time and I'm just so delighted. Thank you. Robin, it's been a real pleasure. I guess the conversation that we had as a sort of pre-conversation, what was it last week, was already very joyful. And uh, I know that we touched on different topics today and and talked about different things. It was such a pleasure being with you on this podcast. Uh, (laughs) I feel honoured and humbled and I thank you very much. If you have questions or ideas that you'd like to hear discussed on upcoming episodes and possibly participate in our show, go to positivitystrategist.com forward slash podcast where you can submit your ideas or leave me a voicemail. I will respond. And also, if you appreciate this show, I'd love you to share that by leaving a review on iTunes or Stitcher. Also, you can be notified of new episodes by email. Links to all these suggestions are available on positivitystrategist.com forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening and remember, what you focus on grows, so grow towards your best.